0: Welcome back to the Schmo Zone podcast. This is episode number 94. I'm Dave Schmolenson, a.k.a. The Schmo. My co-host is...
1: Helen E with Helen E Sports.
0: And today's guest is the number three ranked UFC flyweight. She's lucky. Lauren Murphy. The luckiest. The luckiest. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me on, guys. This is cool. This is a cool
1: setup you guys got.
0: Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. And you can move these around too. Okay, yeah. Exactly. However you want.
1: <laughs> so I saw you're in town helping your good friend Roxanne yeah. Waterbury, right? Yeah. And for her last training camp. Mhm.
2: Yeah, I think it's been a it's been quite a ride for her. So um I just came into town like her and I train really well together. Um you know, she's still learning and like still growing as a martial artist, but she has so much experience behind her. So she just has so many like um moves she can do from so many different positions it's pretty cool but yeah rox and i get along really well and um, she called me into town which is always good for me because it's good for me to travel like i like to cross train and so i get to come out here i got to train a little bit with like mike Pyle. i got to um, pick some tips and tricks up from frank Mir. Um just like the level of the gym that she's training at at syndicate is a super high level gym they have a lot of like um, good drills going on so i always learn a lot when i cross train and then it's nice to be of service to Roxanne, I can come and get services at the PI, so I'm getting ready to kick off my own camp and so I can come and get testing or kind of get my camp set up through the PI with supplements and, and PT and just anything I might need to make me comfortable back at home. So.
0: And also a uh, former foe that you have a victory over too, Joanne Calderwood. She trains at Syndicate <laughs> MMA as well. So you got to feel good walking through those doors, right?
2: Yeah, I feel good really walking through any doors. Like I'm a, you know, I'm a confident person and um, I think I can hang with anybody in the world. So, but yeah, I went to Syndicate and JoJo makes a point not to talk to me or look at me. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I don't really fucking care. I'm like, whatever. Like I don't, I've literally never been mean to her. I've never said a word to her uh like the most interaction I've had with her was on Twitter well when we fought obviously that was most interaction we had but it's like like she came at me on Twitter asking for a fight and I gave her one I gave her the fight she asked for so you're welcome for that uh if you don't like the decision you can totally take it up with Sal Diamato or fucking cry to whoever is on the commission you know what I mean but I did my job she did her job and I don't personally have anything against Jojo I honestly am like I don't know what her problem is but I think, like, I'm like, I don't understand because, like, John Wood was very, very nice to me. Um, Like, when I've been in his gym, we're super polite to each other. Uh, The first time I came out to work with Roxanne, he really actually went out of his way to make sure that I felt comfortable, that I was, you know, treated well um, in his place. And um, I don't know, I you know, I hope JoJo can let that bitterness go because I think it'll just hold her back. But that's not really none of my business, so whatever.
0: When did you find out that this was going to be Roxy's last fight? Did you go into train training with her, not expecting this and knowing? And when did you find out it was going to be her, her last tour?
2: Well, I think she was kind of talking about it. Uh, I came out in November and there was like her pre-camp and um, she was kind of talking about it then. And I think when she finally like made the decision, I think it felt really good for her. She was like, ah, yes, okay. And you, know, you can kind of let it all go. All the stuff she's ever wanted to do in a fight. I think she's going to let it go this
1: time. So make sure you tune in. Check her out. Big fight next weekend in Houston, UFC 271. But before we talk more about Houston, you also are headline, or I think headlining is a premature for me to say that. <laughs> let's we're still all right? try to figure that <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, we're trying all, to figure out. Let's all put it out into the universe. Yes. I'm headlining <laughs> yeah. against Misha Tate, welcoming yes. her to the flyweight division. Yeah, I'm going to give her the welcome she wants, <laughs> the
2: welcome she deserves.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so what do you make it? Because I know you're a former Invicta bantamweight champion. Mm-hmm. So what do you make of her now moving down to the flyweight division and for the first time in, you know, the weight cuts and everything like that? Yeah, we'll see how it goes for her. Uh, she looks cut up at 135.
2: But my guess is, is that she probably got close enough to weight in her last camp. Like she probably got close enough to weight where she was like, mm, I could probably do another 10, <laughs> you know. Like she must have felt comfortable enough and lean enough at um, bantamweight. To make the cut so um i don't know misha's a little bit bigger than me though and it's not like i have the easiest time getting to flyweight i'm not i'm not a small flyweight so we'll see how she does i hope she has a good team around her
0: and she's already we saw an interview talking about you know trying to get the champ valentina shevchenko i'm not going to say it's like something where she's already overlooking you but you're her opponent and she's already talking about fighting Valentina at 125 which i found pretty interesting too because Look, people can't forget about you. Just like how people forgot about, I feel like, Calvin Cater. And you saw what he just did in his last fight with Giga Chikaze because of what happened with Max Holloway. All of a sudden that you're going to forget about Calvin Cater and how he was one of the top 145ers in the world. I hope the same situation doesn't happen to you because you are one of the top 125ers in the world.
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And uh, Misha asked for me, so I think... um You know, I think she feels like this is her quickest way into the top five and then her quickest shot at a title fight. And um, she's just wrong. (laughs) I'm so sorry, Mish, but you're wrong. Um, It's not like she's not going to be able to get through me, first of all, especially not on her first cut to 125. Um, But yeah, I'm going to answer a lot of questions for her. I'm not like I'm not afraid of Misha. I'm not afraid of her wrestling. I'm not afraid of her ground game. I'm certainly not afraid of her hands. I think I'm going to fuck her up.
0: So, you've done the 135, as Helen mentioned, with Invicta and stuff like that. Now she's doing it. If you go back and you remember at that time of your career, like what were some of the trepidations or if you had any reserves of going down, you know, 10 pounds for that weight class? Did you have any different doubts or thoughts or anything like that when you first made that, I guess, drop down to the 125 class?
2: Uh, not too much because at 135, well, I fought at 145 at the beginning of my career and then dropped to 135 um, when I fought for Legacy. And then all through Invicta, I was at 135 in some of the UFC. But I would wake up on weigh-in day and, like, have a cup of coffee. Like, I I mean, I had some fat on my hips. Like, I, I was eating really, really well through camp. I would have, like, four or five cheat days a week, you know? Like, I was not the leanest person at 135. Like, I did not look like Misha looks. At 135 so um, I definitely had like some room to spare and when the Ultimate Fighter came around and it, it was at 125 I was actually walking around at a super low weight probably too low like I, I probably wasn't healthy on the Ultimate Fighter and it's taking me some time to kind of find that balance where this is how much weight I can cut at this weight class this is how I feel good um, this is my process and it's taken some fights to figure that out but now I feel like I have a pretty good system I do have a really good nutritionist um, um, I, like I'm comfortable with my weight cutting process. So we'll see how, how it affects Misha. Cause it will be her first one. It'll be a little bit different. And she does, she didn't have the same amount of like fat and extra weight that I had at the 135 weight class.
0: And you're also a mother too. So it's you can true. relate in that well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and Misha and I like I actually like Misha quite a bit. And speaking of the Ultimate Fighter, she really helped me through that time. It was a really hard time for me, and I would call her and I would be like, "I don't understand this. I don't like this," <laughs> you know. And she really helped me kind of process like show business and um, being on TV and and how to handle the fans. Like she was really really good to me during that time, and I'll never forget it. So um, even even like. Not too long before the fight, we were exchanging some texts and phone calls. Like After she fought, I just told her she looked great and to keep her head up. And then um, the UFC said that she asked for me, and I was actually super excited. I was like, yes, this is going to be a great fight. And of all the fights, you want to fight a former champ. You want to fight somebody like Misha. So I almost felt honored that she asked for me. In a way, she's done me a great favor because it's a big fight, and it's going to be a great name to add to my resume.
0: Big sign of respect.
1: I know. Definitely. Do you still talk to her now or have you recently spoken to her? She reached out to me after the fight was booked and she just told me she was
2: like, hey, I just want to let you know, I really respect you. This is a great honor for me as well. And, uh, you know, I love you, but let's get down to it. And I just I told her I'm like, we're friends now. We'll be friends after. But let's
1: have a fucking fight. You know, showbiz. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of showbiz. Did you see? I think she's filming Celebrity Big Brother. Yeah, I don't know what that is though. It's I'm like. Me neither. I was wondering I if, <laughs> if you've ever seen that show. I think it's really popular, I guess. But I've never know. seen
0: it. I, I didn't never okay. saw it either. I just know that uh, you were telling me about it before you walked through the doors that, uh, hey, do you know Misha Tate's doing that Celebrity Big Brother? And I didn't know what that was. I know.
2: I guess, she's, I guess you live in a house. I like looked up the synopsis of the yeah. show. I guess they all live in a house and they have like contests. I don't know if you get voted on or off or if you have to win the contest or how it works, but she's definitely doing a reality show right now. So <laughs> good for her.
0: <laughs> and and we brought up The Ultimate Fighter. Speaking of reality shows, I think it just got booked too that Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes are going to be on this upcoming season, The Ultimate Fighter.
2: Yeah, I'm going to watch that for sure. Actually, it'll be the first season of Tough that I'll watch since my own season. So but I have a teammate going on there, uh, Melissa Parker, and she's gonna be so fun to watch. She's so tough and she's just so scrappy. Her fights are so fun. I, I had the honor of cornering her in Houston for her last fight um, before she tried out for the show. And it was a blast. I was exhausted by the end of the night just from watching her. So. She's going to be cool. And then just the list of names that they have on there. I didn't, I don't know any of the men, but all the women. I was like, oh, cool. I can't wait to see that one. I can't fly wait to see weights. that one. Yeah. 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 So it's cool. I, I love the flyweight. I like women's fights in general, but I really like the flyweight division and I like how it's growing and how it's shaping up. It's going to be a really good division.
1: Well, I'm curious to get your thoughts on what you thought of Juliana's win over Amanda Nunes. You know, um, when they were walking out, I was like,
2: oh my God, (laughs) she could do it. I was like, Juliana's crazy enough. She could do it. And um, Amanda walked out. She just looked a little flat. Sometimes I watch people's walkouts and you can almost kind of tell what their mood is and where their headspace is, the way that they're walking out. Um, Like when Rose fought Joanna Jinjajic, the first time when Joanna was walking out, she looked super emotional. She was really tense. She was like pointing at Rose and doing this. And it was so over the top that I think she kind of blew her load a little bit, you know? And so I was watching for that when, the, when Juliana and Amanda were walking out, and um, I just noticed Amanda looked a little flat, and I was like, oh, my God, Juliana might be able to fucking do it right now. And then she just started scrapping. Plus, Juliana has, like, the longest arms in the world. She has, like, super fucking long arms, which I think takes people by surprise, but they almost damn near hang down to her knees.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, they came in handy, too. Who else submits (laughs) the champ? (laughs) That's true. She got her to tap.
2: Yeah, yeah, without even having it sunk in. I I honestly think Amanda got caught by surprise and panicked and gassed. I don't think she was, like, out of shape.
1: Well, do you think that Juliana beats her again in this rematch?
0: Or we got to watch the ultimate fighter to see, right?
1: Yeah, we'll have to see. I I think it kind of depends –
2: this is just how I see it. And I, I really like both those women. Like I, I love Amanda a lot and I have so much respect for Juliana's like level of confidence and the way that you can't tell her nothing. You know, I love that about her. Um, I think it really depends like the emotional state of the two girls. Juliana's used to fighting in an emotional state. She fights emotionally, but I think Amanda needs to fight calmer because she's all muscle and power. You know what I mean? So you need to conserve some of that energy. Um, otherwise you gas right so if you're all just muscle and power and you fight with a lot of emotion and you get kind of stiff like she did or if you panic a little bit then for sure you're going to gas and you're not going to be thinking well she just started throwing that overhand right over and over again which to me is a sign of panic when you're just throwing the same combination over and over again you're not being creative you're not setting things up you're not thinking about what might land you're just kind of um like a robot you know And so I saw that happen to Amanda in that fight, and I think if she can stay calm and and not be caught by surprise and and not panic, then I think she could beat Juliana.
1: Do you consider her win over Amanda a bigger upset than Holly Holm when she beat Ronda Rousey? No. I think Holly Holm's upset was
2: worldwide huge. I mean, and not to say Juliana's wasn't, but I at least gave Juliana a chance in that fight. And honestly, when Holly fought Ronda, I was like, this will be over in a minute, no way. And when Holly started winning, me and uh, Jocelyn Leibarger, I don't know if you guys remember her, but I was living in Arizona at the time. We were at a bar. The bar was packed. Jocelyn and I were holding each other, jumping up and down and screaming like little girls <laughs> like, <laughs> while we were watching that fight. The whole bar was going nuts. So when I watched Juliana submit Nunez, I mean, we were surprised. We are like, holy shit, that was fucking cool. i like, whoa, kind of went to bed like, God bless. But man, when Holly head kicked Rhonda, that was like, that was a head kick heard around the world. I don't know if there's ever going to be another moment like that.
0: That's true. Yeah. That's yeah. true. But it's crazy because of this victory lap now. I think she's on the Ellen show now. Yeah, I mean, I saw she's that. getting yeah. all these different types of promotions and stuff like that. Part of you, does that feel like that could have been you had you got the victory against Valentina? I
2: didn't want to say it, but yeah, I cried a little bit when Juliana won because she just showed so much heart and like she was so tough and. I knew how badly I broke in my own title fight, and it it did hurt because I was like, what does Juliana have that I don't? And I actually really had to ask myself that, and um, the answer that I came up with was she was so confident, and it really changed things for me. I was like, I need to be more confident. If I had been confident in that fight, and granted, it is exceptionally hard to feel confident against Valentina Shevchenko. If you've got a brain in your head, (laughs) it's going to be difficult to feel confident against somebody her caliber, but it's going to be required to beat her, and um, I did not have that that night. So I, it it just really, Juliana taught me that like, I have to be mentally stronger. I have to give less shits about what people are saying. It it was really hard to walk into that title fight. And, um, it seemed like the whole world was like, what are you going to do? What do you bring to the table? What's different about you? I didn't really have an answer at the time. You know, I I was literally like, fuck, I don't know. I'm just going to go try real hard. (laughs) And that's definitely not the attitude that I should have had. But, it really, you know, it took that fight, and it took Valentina kind of showing me that there's a whole nother level to fighting that I wasn't even aware of, that now I'm aware of, for me to realize that. And so, um, you know, you can practice your mindset the way you can practice anything else, and so that's what I've been doing.
1: But with Misha kind of already saying, you know, she's targeting Valentina, so for you, if you get the result you're looking for against Misha, where do you think that will take you then?
2: Uh, I think it puts me in a good spot for sure, but I would I would definitely need to have, in my mind, I think three good performances with maybe even finishes over people in the top ten, for me myself to feel confident to get in there to fight the champ again, not just to convince the fans, not just to convince Dana, which of course, like I would like to do, but I would have to prove to myself like I would have I need some proof to rely on when I go and fight the champ that I'm a bad motherfucker. And I just felt like I couldn't quite get there in the last fight it was like well my you know a lot of these wins are by decision and all these fights have been kind of like just scraping by scraping through and I, i did i got a title shot based off a lot of decisions in the top 10 i'm a i mean i'm a badass motherfucker i'm beating people in the top 10 but i need to start finishing people in the top 10 and i think i could do that by building my mindset i don't think there's anything wrong with me physically i don't think there's anything wrong with my technique um i don't think there's anything wrong with me athletically i think that really it's going to be up here for me as an athlete that that um, that needs to change for me to have better performances
1: was that what you noticed the most going into that fight against Valentina compared to your others mainly just mentally
2: uh so physically I was definitely not at 100 percent. so I don't want to get into a ton of details about it but I will say that it seemed like in that camp nothing went right like we I could not get it together in that camp there was a lot of injuries and sicknesses and drama and just um a lot of things that were kind of outside my control and um it all kind of accumulated like fight week my coach had COVID so we got Bog? to no not Bob oh. Alex Oh no. but I'm undefeated with Alex in my corner I feel like he's my guy and he the, we all got to Vegas and the UFC was like he's got COVID he can't corner you And I was really hoping that they'd be like, okay, fights off, like corner has COVID, we can't do it, safety protocols, but they were just like, "Uh, did you sit next to him on the plane? I was like, no. They were like, okay, well, good. He's going to, he's got to leave. And then they didn't even really offer like to put the fight off. But looking back, what would have happened if I hadn't fought Cynthia Cavillo would have stepped into the title fight like she was kind of waiting for backup just hoping (laughs) that something would happen to me she would have fought for the title she would forever go down in UFC history as a UFC title contender I would have had to fight another contendership fight which I would probably be getting for ready for right now and then it's totally up in the air you know the fight game is so crazy it's like I might have never made my way back to the title so we made a decision to go ahead like all these hardships that have led up to this moment either you're going to fucking fight and become the champion despite the hardships, or you're going to let the hardships bog you down, be on your mind, and you're not going to be the champion. It's that's your That was my choice. That was at least how my mind thought about it. Like, you're either going to overcome it and fucking do it and be the champ, or you're going to go in there and fight. You're not going to overcome it, and you're not going to leave the champ. But either way, you're going to go in there and you're going to fucking fight. And um, unfortunately, I just was not strong enough, I think physically or mentally that night, to be the champ. But um, it did show me um, a lot of ways that I can improve. So.
0: But it, anything is possible in the world, <laughs> and everybody's beatable. That's and true. Juliana Pena certainly is the most uh, recent example to show that, too. Yeah. What do you think it's gonna take to beat a beatable mm-hmm. Valentina Shevchenko after getting in the cage with her?
2: So I think it would really help, like. Um Maybe if, like, when she was walking out, if she tripped on a cord and fell and broke her neck. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Tony (laughs) Ferguson did that, but
0: he ripped up his knee.
2: (laughs) No. Um, Well, first of all, uh, just speaking from my own, like, worldview, I think it's going to take somebody with a lot of confidence. Obviously, you have to be confident, first of all, to be a fighter. But I can't think of a single champ that's not incredibly confident in themselves, right? And so I know that for me, that's what I was missing. Uh, it's going to be—it's gonna have to be somebody that has quite a bit of experience or that doesn't give a shit that they don't have experience. So <laughs> kind of take your pick. But I think somebody with a lot of experience that um, can see what's happening in there and that feels comfortable going wherever the fight's going to go with Valentina because she is incredibly well-rounded. So um, I think it's going to take somebody that's also well-rounded
1: and somebody that's very confident. Do you consider her the number one pound-for-pound female right now? I do, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's crazy that, when I was going to say this earlier, too, that just like one loss or one scenario changes everything, the entire complexity of everything like that, too, because for the longest time, too, people were talking about the trilogy fight then with Amanda Nunes mm-hmm. and Valentina. They were talking about Kayla Harrison, who was her teammate, yeah. and now she's no longer a part of American Top Team. That is Amanda Nunes leaving That's that gym true. after that loss, and now you have those two in the ultimate fighter. Maybe there's an opportunity where you could have been the ultimate fighter with Valentina for the rematch <laughs> had you got the victory too. And yeah. then at 145 forty-five, two Max Holloway had to pull out of the you know the trilogy oh, yeah, with uh, Alex Volkanowski. And then you have Korean Zombie just coming off that one win against Dan yes, Ige, I know. getting the opportunity. It's crazy how the fight game you works. You never know.
2: You never know. And that's one thing I'll always remember in my heart from The Ultimate Fighter is anything could happen. And you can't ever be like, oh, this will never happen. It'll never be this. This will never go like... Because literally in fighting, fucking anything. Anything could happen. Like Cynthia Cavillo... I mean, her odds of becoming a UFC title contender are nil, but they were very, very close that week that we were on the same fight card. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she could have walked into a title fight, and that same opportunity could present itself to me, you know? So, yeah, I'm holding out hope that one day I'll be able to redeem myself and uh, have a better performance against the champion.
0: Because you said that again. How close do you think was it for Cynthia Kelvia to have stepped in and, and have that fight? Like, Because it sounds like it's something that—
2: uh, I was— dra- I was dragging my feet to that title fight. If there had been, like, one <laughs> little reason to be, like, out, I would have been out. Like, I'm, really, like, I did not want to fight without my coach. Because imagine this. I'm 9-0 with that guy in my corner. He took me through uh, Legacy. He took me to the Invicta Championship. He took me all the way to the UFC Championship. I've never suffered a loss with Alex name in my corner. Um, I don't know if that guy just has some kind of magic or what, but when when – you know, we had all these things happening in camp all the way up. And I'm like, let it go, let it go, let it go. And then we get all the way up to the fight. And then my coach can't be there. And honestly, it broke my heart because I was like, how do I win without you? And if I do win, how could I win without you? Like, I would want you to be there for that moment. How? What would I do if I won the belt and the fucking confetti's coming down and the everybody's cheering and the lights are going and, and then fucking Alex is next door at the Holiday Inn or wherever they made him quarantine, like, that thought even broke my heart so it was a it was a tough thing to deal with you know on top of all this other shit that was kind of going on and and honestly i just wasn't like emotionally mentally i think solid enough or confident enough to go in there and overcome all that stuff and then without my coach fight the greatest female fighter that the ufc has known right so um, I think it's possible to be that strong I think it's possible for me to get there mentally and emotionally I know that there's other fighters that are like whatever I don't care I'll fucking fight without my coach <laughs> or what you know they'll fight with their girlfriend in their corner or like whatever Mike you know Perry. I know yeah so there's guys that can perform and they really fucking don't care but for a championship title fight it, you know I think it's important but it did. It affected me, but it also taught me a lot and so it's taken some time. It's taken a couple months, but I'm starting to see like the positives that I can take out of it.
0: No, it makes complete sense. I was just listening to Juliana Peña on Joe Rogan's podcast and saying how she couldn't have done it without the coaches believing in her mm-hmm. and her corner and the importance of that and how she was just giving them deferring to them for all the credit in the world for her to be in the position today to be in that title shot. So ever not title shot but to be the champion so yeah so everything you're saying goes aligned with what I just heard her saying and she's the champ
2: yeah you got it. I mean you do you have to have a great team around you and um it is it's important to me I've always been a very like coach-oriented person so if my coach tells me to do something I do it when my coach tells me something I believe it like I'm I'm a very coach-oriented person but that experience with Valentina um really taught me that maybe I almost rely on my team a little too much I need to be a little more confident in Lauren Murphy I need to be a you know I don't always need to be like well what do you think about that like what if am I doing this right what if I do it like this is this better how what do you think of this sometimes I just need to be like this is the way I'm fucking doing it (laughs) you know and this is right because I'm doing it so um yeah and just practicing having like a more confident attitude has really started to serve me well
1: well, May 14th, another huge moment and huge fight for you, though. Yeah, yeah. Against a former champ. So.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm blessed. I'm telling you, I'm blessed to get that fight. Like, it's it's awesome. A lot of girls in the division would love to have that fight.
0: And speaking of your division, it, 125, I think, is especially where you're at. It's it's a loaded division. There's a lot of young talent coming in there. And Roxy, who you've been preparing for, she's fighting. And Casey O'Neal, mm-hmm. undefeated fighter, young, a lot of confidence. BJJ accolades and stuff like that I'm curious when you're game planning for her and helping her game plan like what stands out to you about her success so far as young and being a you know an undefeated prospect.
2: Uh, I actually didn't really watch any of Casey O'Neill's fights. When I went to the gym, I asked Roxy's coaches, like, is there anything you want me to do? Is there anything you want me to do specifically? And they did have, like, a couple shots that they thought the girl might um, um, shoot on Roxy. They had a couple positions that they wanted to try to work a little bit more. Roxanne had some sequences that she was practicing for the fight. But um, mostly, like, she goes with different partners, so she's getting all different looks. And as long as we're all about the same size, I I think it's good. Like, Roxanne knows how to fight. So I've been telling her, like, every day. I'm like... How long have you been in the UFC? She's like, I don't know, like six years. I'm like, how long have you been in the top 10 in the UFC? She's like, yeah, like four years. I'm like, how long have you, like, how many years were you in the top five? How many girls in the top 10 have you fought? How many major belts for females have you fought for in your MMA career? All of them, by the way. Like, how many years have you been grappling? Like, how good of shape are you in right now? You're literally wearing out your sparring partners. So, um, like I said, confidence is a big thing. And Roxanne has a lot to feel confident about going into that fight.
1: And I love that she always stays true to herself. And I think she Mm -hmm. just got engaged.
2: Yes. Yes. So So cute. (laughs) Oh, my God. So I'm staying at her house. And uh, (laughs) Roxanne and her boyfriend are her fiancé. Her fiancé. (laughs) Her fiancé. They're so hysterical. Like, Roxanne is literally the heart eye emoji when she looks at Chris. Like, hearts are just coming out of her eyes. She loves him. Like, it's like watching a cartoon. And Chris is so nice to her. He, like... I, I don't know he cracks her up he's always holding her hand he rubs her back he's like so sweet to her so I I just love that because uh, you know it's Roxanne and like she found her nerd she found her her guy you know and they're they are crazy about each other i've oh. never seen them say a cross word to one another
0: that makes me I'm so happy, happy. Yeah. she deserves that yeah too.
2: yeah i know and so i'm like well they're gonna get married uh i think this fall and i'm like how the hell are you gonna fit everybody into the wedding like she's got have she has to invite all of us clearly everybody from the gym everybody from the pi half the people from like extreme like do you know what i mean she's gonna have people from all over the world trying to come to this wedding so i hope they got a big-ass venue
1: Everybody loves Roxanne.
0: <laughs>
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, someone uh, next weekend, too. Houston, your home city, mm-hmm. your new adopted home city.
1: Yeah.
0: Derek Lewis is returning.
1: Yeah. Now, someone else everyone loves. Someone yeah. else everyone loves, <laughs> too. I mean, yeah. fuck,
0: this fan favorite fight, tied to Ivasa, and you got Derek Lewis. Zero shortage of personality there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You said it, too. Derek knocks out. And Derek, by the way, the record, UFC history, MMAs are the most knockouts. Everyone talks about Francis the scariest man, scariest puncher. It's Derek Lewis.
2: It's Derek. Yeah. yeah, he's the baddest blue belt in the world, for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but what's he got to drink out of if he gets that Dude, knockout? Th- th- he has
2: no choice. Like, if he's trying to have the best post-fight interview and it's going to be better than of Tuivas's, then he's going to have to drink a beer out of his cup. <laughs> there, you have to do a cuppy, Derek, and there's just... I'm sorry, but you have backed yourself into this corner and there... There's no way out of it. You have to drink a fucking beer out of your cup. So knock this dude out and then drink a beer out of your cup.
0: <laughs> and and not yeah. a hard seltzer, a real beer. Yeah,
2: a real beer. But I think with Derek's cup, he's probably only gonna cook like a couple sips in. You know
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, throw in some moonshine. <laughs> <I know.
1: laughs> Man, but how is he looking though? He looks awesome. I think he's going
2: to surprise a lot of people in this fight. Like he is the knockout king. He's the knockout king, and he's dang- he's actually dangerous everywhere. So, um, Derek's really going to shock the world in this fight. I think his comeback is going to be amazing, and he's going to set himself up for another run at the title.
0: How much pressure do you think he feels by fighting in Houston though? Because I feel like all these Houston cards, he has to worry about so many tickets. Let's be real, he's the draw. Everybody from that town wants to see Derek Lewis. We've he been is. around it, we've seen it too. Yeah. And obviously he probably feels like shit by how he performed for that interim title fight with Cyril Gane. Makes up for it in his last fight and gets the knockout record and stuff like that. How much do you feel like he wants to redeem himself in front of this hometown crowd and uh, beat Derek Lewis that everyone in that city knows who he is, you know?
2: Oh, 100%. But like when I saw Derek before the title fight... He looked so stressed. He was like, it looked like he literally had a weight on his back, and he was, like, just so drawn in. He was, like, quiet. He didn't, like, never played around. He was just so stressed, and he talked a lot about how much pressure he felt. He talked about it in his interviews. He talked about it at the gym. And we could tell almost just from, like, the way he was carrying himself. We were like, "Uh, fuck, he's really, like, the pressure's really getting to him. And then, I like, I could understand that when I had my own title fight, I was like, the pressure is incredible. And then for him to do it in front of his hometown, which, you know, Houstonians love Houston. Like Houstonians are all about H-Town, which makes sense because it's an awesome city. But um, after the title fight, I saw Derek and he was getting ready for his last fight. And he looked like just a free man. He was so light and happy. He was joking around and he was talking about it. He was like, I feel so much pressure off of me. And I think after you go, I mean, that's his second time challenging for the title. Mm -hmm. But I think after you feel that immense amount of pressure where you're challenging for the title in front of your hometown, I think everything after that feels like a big weight off, you know. And Derek's also the kind of athlete where he wants to improve. And so I haven't talked to him about this, but I hope. That he takes this opportunity to just redeem himself in his own in his own heart. I don't think anybody in Houston ever holds anything against Derek. He, like we said, Houston loves Derek Lewis, but this is his opportunity to go out and get a sweet knockout in front of his hometown crowd, uh, get his hand raised, and and just redeem himself in his own in his own mind.
0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Blumon. Some of the best hair products on the market. I absolutely love it. This right here is their discovery kit. All different types of styles for your different hairs. I personally love using their fist sample. Great stuff. It holds the hair super well. It doesn't get flaky as well, so it's easy to clean. You could even fall asleep in it if you do fall asleep with your hair product in your hair. Don't always recommend that, but this stuff doesn't smell bad. doesn't get too greasy fantastic hold. Very good stuff. They also have their cloud control. Very good. Check it out. bluemoncom forward slash Schmo. Get 10% off. You will not be disappointed.
2: Like watching him train is cool because uh, he really gets after it. And then I see how much he lets it go in his fights. And that's really like kind of what's more inspirational to me. I mean, it's cool to know Derek and joke around with him. And he's Derek Lewis. It's all famous, but really like like watching, watching his work ethic and then watching him apply it in fights is super inspirational because there's a lot of fighters that can't. They'll have a great camp or whatever, and they freeze up when they fight. And especially at heavyweight, a lot of heavyweights are not in the kind of shape that Derek is in. A lot of heavyweights are not the athletes that Derek is, and a lot of heavyweights don't work as hard as he does, and so they gas or they don't like they don't throw flying knees for sure. Derek like throws a lot of kicks, he loves it, yeah. yeah, flying knees, foot sweeps. Like he's a very athletic large man, so it's kind of cool to, for me to see that how he lets it go in his fights.
0: And even in the past year, when we've been to Main Street uh, Boxing and Muay Thai, I saw in that downstairs area where they used to have all the weights the blue mats yes. and everything, and you could just tell the jujitsu is going on there. Joe Murphy. Joe. Uh, Derek has been working yeah. hard and working in all areas of his game as a <laughs> martial artist, so uh, you could just see the evolution.
2: Yeah, he and Joe get along really well, and uh, Joe started a gi program at um, Main Street, so... Um, the fighters are like putting on their kimonos now and they're getting in their pajamas and they're going and roll around in their pajamas a little bit. I mean, still a lot of the classes are no-gi because that obviously applies more to MMA, but, um, I'm loving it. Hopefully we'll get some more black belts out of main street anytime.
0: <laughs> hey, I was sold when he got, he got out of that Alexio Olenek choke right there. And, yeah. and and he was able yeah. to survive and advance. And obviously then he finished the fight too, but that told me everything I need to know about Derek <laughs> Lewis right there. Like, you know, doesn't matter the positioning doesn't matter how difficult or unfamiliar it is. Uh, He's been working on the game that people didn't think he'd had.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. That dude's a fighter through and through, just naturally, naturally a very good fighter. But he takes instruction well, and I think he and Joe really speak the same language. Just Joe's not teaching him to barambolo or, (laughs) I mean, I don't want to give away too much, but like Joe's not teaching him crazy like leg locks or fucking inverted anything he's teaching him how to keep like heavy pressure how to get up when he needs to you know how to wrestle well how to I don't know not get taken down on the
1: cage all that kind of shit and shout out to crew Bob Perez as well. Yeah, for
2: sure. Of Main Street Boxing. Yeah, they've been together for a long time, Bob and Derek. So I know, I know. If anything, they should have like a cop buddy show. <laughs>
1: hey, they should put it in and out there in the universe,
2: dude. I would really, I wanted to do like a thing with Derek where we like roll around and go to like different food spots, like Southern food hey, and oh, taco stands. Awesome. Yeah, should. and then like, cause you know, he's <laughs> so funny. And Derek's so hilarious. He'd be like, no nah, that's trash," but but I'll eat just about anything so I think we can make a, like have a lot of fun with it you know <laughs> I think you guys should
0: You're in a perfect city for that as yeah. well oh my
2: god yeah we are okay well oh when gosh. you guys come like let's plan something we'll we'll all go out because <laughs> I know he did like the hot wings thing right yeah yeah that was so funny oh my <laughs> god that was hilarious <laughs> just
0: watching all the beads of sweat just drip down his face <laughs> Couldn't handle it, <laughs> and then just taking the milk and just chugging it. Yeah, yeah, that's so great. That was that was fantastic too. Uh, who else comes out? Kevin Holland. Did you do you see him coming down to Main Street too? I know he he hits mitts with Bob.
2: Yeah, every once in a while, like we've crossed paths. He's he's hilarious. So
0: I can imagine him and Derek too have some fun banter. <laughs>
2: can you imagine if they were sparring? Oh <God>. I bet Kevin Holland would do it. So these are all ideas for you guys, for, like, your podcast. We could YouTube it and all kinds of stuff. Oh, for sure. I love that. I love that.
0: Those two two are just – the jokes don't stop.
2: Dude, can you imagine if Kevin Holland and Nick Diaz fought? It it would be, like, 15 minutes of just talking and posturing and, like, slapping each other and –
0: well, now now it's uh, Sean, Sean Strickland, Strickland. And, oh, and Kevin yes. Holland jawing back and oh, forth Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, that would be a good fight. That'd be a good
0: fight. They apparently yeah. had some sort of run-in at the PI and stuff like that, and there's jawing back and forth. But Sean Strickland has – I mean, Kevin's got no filter, but Sean Strickland truly has no filter. Zero filter.
2: filter. I, yeah, so I've been at the PI all week, and Sean Strickland is, like, in the lobby almost every day, like, holding court. He's, like, eating lunch and like having a sermon almost. He's just like talk, telling stories and talking to people and giving his opinion about stuff and then like p- he's making people laugh and he's got opinions and then he packs up his lunch and he fucking leaves. Like, I'm just like, we're here for the Sean Strickland what? show, really. Like, <laughs> well, what kind of stories? <laughs> some of them I cannot repeat. Like some okay. of them will like get your podcast taken off the air. A hundred percent, but he
0: doesn't give a he shit. He doesn't give a
2: shit. Yeah, he doesn't care who's in the lobby. He doesn't care who's listening to him. He's going to say what he's going to say and uh, he's going to laugh at himself and if you don't think he's fucking funny fuck you he's gonna leave you know what I mean like he doesn't care and so yeah he just he talks a lot about training how his sparring matches have gone who he sparred with Uh, somebody will walk into the PI and he'll like tell a story about that guy and yeah, just, yeah.
0: And I love how freaking candid he, he is too because he knows that he couldn't get away with this when he wasn't winning, when he wasn't successful. <laughs> now he's main event Sean Strickland and he can say whatever the hell he wants and there's no repercussions for it. That is the beauty too with the UFC is they're not going to filter somebody. You know, I remember when Tyron Woodley was fighting Colby Covington. They didn't censor one side and not the other side and you have two contrasting sides. That I do appreciate the open forum with. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, it's amazing how varied personalities fighters can have because you think of a fighter and you're like oh they're gonna be aggressive and arrogant and like a tough guy and the like Variability of personalities that you can meet in one day just at the PI. It, it's it's nuts. It's crazy.
1: When you first interviewed Sean Didn't what did he say to you? He didn't like you? On oh, camera? Yeah, or yeah. the schmo he right? li-
0: Yeah, he, he has this whole thing though. Sh- I love interviewing But now. Him. He loves you. Yeah, yeah because he's like you know you remind me of this guy in high school that used to change his voice all the time and used to get with all the chicks I used to want to fucking murder this person or whatever and you know what Schmo I like you now but I used to say, fuck you to you, but he he was just going off. And I'm just standing there and and in character. And And I
1: wasn't with him. That was like one of the few times I didn't go with him. So I'm watching this interview like, oh, my gosh.
0: And I absolutely loved every second of it because it was just so perfect for the character. So self-deprecating. He's the perfect perfect human for it. And now him and I message all the time back and forth. Hey, send me this clip. What do you think of that? And uh, Sean Strickland, I love you, man. That's
2: awesome. <laughs> That's, That's True that I can right see <laughs> that where he would be like, I, don't, I didn't fucking like you. I could totally see. I'm going to have to go back and watch it because I could see that.
0: You also spent time, too, in Arizona at the MMA lab and stuff like that. You know, they have a really good gym as well. I know... They, Kyler Phillips is is up on the Houston card too, I believe. Oh,
2: he is. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen the whole card, but Jared Cannonier.
0: Jared Cannonier. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, I definitely knew about that one. That's going to be a sick
0: fight. I think he was the co-main until they put Derek on there, yeah, and stuff <laughs> like that. But that's a huge fight. Him and Brunson. Winner yeah. that likely is going to get the title shot. Yeah,
2: he's going to beat Brunson. <laughs> Derek's going to knock out Brunson. I mean, I don't have anything against Brunson. I don't know him, but like I've I've known Jared a long time, and I just can't see that fight going any other way. Der- I I think Jared's going to knock out Brunson and then fight for the title and kind of depending on who the champion is at that time. Um, I mean, we'll see how it goes, but that's that's my prediction for that fight. So there you go, folks.
0: And <laughs> I can't believe that Jared at one point was fighting at heavyweight. He's just someone who's a that's heavyweight true. that just worked his way down to middleweight.
2: Yeah, we didn't know how to cut weight in Alaska. I guess <laughs> <laughs> we all fight heavier than we should have. You
0: you go back to Alaska days with him, or, or did mm-hmm. you meet? Oh, so yeah. we were
2: like white belts together. So we were on the same MMA team. There's some really old pictures out there floating around of we, me, Jared Cannonier, um, a couple other really tough guys, another guy named Andy Enns, who also made it to the UFC, but he didn't win any of his fights. But um, we just saw, we were at a Gracie Baja, like in Anchorage, Alaska, and just um, had a really great coach at the time. His name was Pat Applegate, and he was a phenomenal coach, really great And um, all of us just, we would show up for three hours a night, we would do our kickboxing, our jujitsu, and then our MMA, we'd all be exhausted. But we were like in our late 20s, early 30s, and just loved it, and we were all fighting. And so Jared and I fought on a bunch of the same cards in Alaska, and we kind of came up together. And so Joe and I moved out of Alaska, And eventually ended up at the MMA lab through a series of events, and we called the Cannoneers and we were like, you guys got to come down here. Like if Jared really wants to be successful, if he's going to make it in the UFC, y'all should come down here. And so the Cannoneers came to Arizona. They actually lived in our house for about three months, four months, something like that, when Jared made his UFC debut on a New Year's card in Vegas, and he debuted against Sean Jordan, I think, so that one didn't go his way, but he um did settle in at the lab really liked the team i think he and benson henderson trained together yep. a lot yeah. and so that's a i mean obviously an awesome training partner plus they got like james nakashima and david Mashad and just probably a bunch of other tough people i don't even know of anymore because i haven't been there in a few years but obviously jared's career's taken off and and uh that i mean good 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 for him that's awesome
1: but it's cool to see like you said you guys have known each other and stuff from all the way out since alaska days and then now being the top UFC fighters. Like, that's so cool.
2: No, it's awesome. I, I honestly think Jared has the best chance of anybody I know of becoming the next champ.
0: And Izzy's talked about it too, and I'm assuming are you gonna pick Izzy to beat Robert Whitaker or do you think Robert Whitaker gets this?
2: I'm like such a fangirl for Robert Whitaker. Like I literally clap my hand my I turn into the heart eyes emoji. Like what is Joe saying? Joe does too. (laughs) Joe's like, I know, he's really handsome. (laughs) So I actually I think I will just go with Whitaker just on principle. So We'll see how that shakes up the division, but Jared's got a chance against anybody. I mean, he hung in there with Whitaker for three rounds. It was a great fight, and Jared had a broken arm the whole time. That so. was
0: I remember in the first round uh, he he blocked yeah. a kick and it broke his arm, and I remember those two just meeting after the fight, having a beer together, and that was such a special moment. I mm-hmm. watched it, but uh, I, I brought I bring that up too because Izzy he's acknowledged over time that he foresees himself defending and fighting Jared Cannoneer. He's had his eyes on Jared as a candidate the whole time. But what does make this fight so intriguing, too, is Brunson, Blonde Brunson, has not lost. And <laughs> right. it's no secret yeah. he's got the wrestling background. But Jared's a big guy, and mm-hmm. I know he does have wrestling defense, too. And um, he fucking hits hard, especially yeah. coming from a heavyweight, former heavyweight, too. It is going to be an awesome, awesome, awesome fight
2: yeah Brunson gets hit a lot though he does and uh Jared's footwork is pretty insane for a big guy like he really moves his feet and he's super fast so I would love to cheer for Brunson but I I I mean not really though like I just think Jared's gonna win and I don't really see it going any other way but we'll see because blonde Brunson is a force to be reckoned with it'll be a really good like a good win for Jared you know but like I said like Jared's got that confidence factor like he's got that confidence factor where he can go in and be the champ and I've met some incredible athletes over over my career. I've been honored to meet the best athletes in the world. Like Benson Henderson is probably one of the best athletes I've ever been in the same room as. Um, you know, a couple other UFC champs. I've met Jon Jones, um, Jared. To me, Jared Cannonier is just as special as any of those champions. His attitude, his work ethic, his belief in himself, his ability to pick up. Um, like not just moves but fighting concepts like so quickly where you could tell him something and he has implemented it into his game the next week is something that he does and not everybody can do that I for me it takes months sometimes years before I'm like really implementing something into my game where I have to practice it a lot Jared just has this natural ability to soak things up like a sponge so that's my little uh soapbox but I think Jared Cannoneer is a special athlete
1: it's going to be a great pay-per-view next weekend. I'm
2: pumped. I'm you know what? I'm just so grateful to be a UFC athlete. I'm pumped cuz I get to go sit like near the front on the floor. I'm going to be, you know, treated like really well when I go to the UFC and these days don't last forever. And so it means a lot to me to be able to come out here and use the PI. It means a lot to me that I can ask the UFC for tickets to the biggest pay-per-views, get really good seats and go like enjoy watching the best athletes in the world do the hardest sport in the world. Like to me this is I've just, I know that these days don't last forever. So I really, really try to like soak it up and enjoy it and be present for all of it.
0: I wish more fighters had the same mindset as <laughs> you, too, because yeah. uh, that's such a good way to look at it, too.
2: Yeah. So I mean, someday I'm going to be buying tickets to get back into that arena and I'm going to be sitting up in the stands and I'm going to be longing for the days that
1: I could walk into the octagon. So, yeah. But in the future, would you ever consider being a commentator?
2: sure a commentator I, I honestly i would work for the ufc in almost any capacity um just my experience like with the ufc staff is that they are so good to the fighters they're like li- i don't know how it is like with other organizations but the ufc you show up for fight week and you can literally just be standing somewhere and be like "Fuck, i really wish i had a bottle of water and somebody will appear and they'll be like here you go you know? and uh, i don't know if other organizations are like that but the ufc takes such good care of its athletes i i wouldn't I wouldn't hate working for the UFC and and trying to stay in that circle somehow, you know, working with the athletes in any capacity. I'll carry cords behind the cameraman. I'll clean the PI, like whatever it is, you know, but I'd like to stay in the fight world.
0: Yeah, I just think, you know, and we were just talking about this, too. We had Brandon Moreno on last week, too, because obviously the big hot topic that everyone talks about is fighters get paid little and all this type of stuff. And there's always multiple sides to the story. And sure, everyone wants to get paid more. But there are a lot of things that the UFC does behind the scenes to accommodate for fighters that other organizations don't do. And I feel like that doesn't get highlighted enough.
2: Oh, for sure. Like people always bitch about healthcare, but um the ufc has always taken really good care of me even if you get injured in camp i mean they have like a plan for that if you get injured in a fight they obviously have a plan for that um yeah i, I really love being a ufc athlete there's a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot of perks that don't get talked about enough i mean people bitch about fight or pay but um i'm not the highest paid athlete i'm a well-paid athlete i'm a well-paid flyweight um um but I'm also smart with my money. So there's certain things that I think fighters don't do enough of like, um, I have an LLC, saving me a bunch of money in taxes. If you are a fighter, go get an LLC set up. Even if you're not making money right now, like someday you hopefully will be and you want to have that LLC in place when you do start making money. So if you're a new fighter, go get an LLC. Like, I don't think it costs hardly fucking anything. Um, you definitely wanna get like a financial advisor. You wanna invest your money and not fucking blow it, like for sure, because like I said, these days do not last forever. And the odds of having permanent income from fighting are like slim to none, right? So you're gonna make all this money and like hopefully like 10, 15 years on the outside is like maybe how long you could really be a fighter, you know, 10 years probably at the top level. And if you're not being smart with your money in that time, That money's going to go away and you're going to have a lot of catching up to do. But I think it's like that in most pro sports. I I could be wrong because I don't play any other sports, but the top, top earners are the stars. Everybody else is kind of like makes good money, but they're kind of middle of the road. And then they do have some like like lower level tier athletes that probably don't make nearly as much as Kobe Bryant or LeBron or whatever.
0: Right. right? The average shelf life for an NFL player is like two and a half years. Yeah. You know, and then you're only as good as your availability kind of like fighting too but if you're if you're injured you're not on the field you're not going to get that next contract nothing's guaranteed and then you're just fighting for an opportunity to fight on the practice squad and stuff like that for a fighter obviously you want to be at the lead elite you want to be at the usc but there's all these other organizations now and all these other opportunities for you to find a way and make in I, i think the longevity and the health that thing that situation is a lot more difficult for a fighter as an independent contractor too especially if you had pre-existing issues Mm -hmm. you know like uh, especially if it comes to a knee and things that are really really difficult that that kind of hamper your movement over time but um you know there's a lot of different perks and there's a lot of different ups and downs ebbs and flows and but that's just that way in all sports
2: Yeah, I was watching, I saw something on ESPN, I think it was a Bellator athlete, who got, like, the fastest submission in history. I don't even know if it was Bellator history, but, like, the fight started, he rolled for a heel hook, and he got a super fast submission. He was really pumped, and my first thought was, like, too bad you don't get 50 Gs for that. Like, you're going to make your Bellator, like, I've never heard of that guy, so unless he's, like, a top, top earner in Bellator, which I don't think he is... Uh, I was like, cool. You're gonna get your win bonus, but like, if that had been in the UFC, you'd be walking out with maybe like a hundred grand right now, you know?
1: Maybe it is something where, especially in the social media era that we're in, where it's like people like to highlight the negatives yeah. more than positives. <laughs> people love to
2: bitch, I know, <laughs> and I'm not exempt from that. But um, just for me, like, I my dream was to be a UFC athlete, and I know people hate this because it's like, yeah, as long as everybody keeps talking like that, the UFC will never pay us more. Like, I'm not going to fight for free. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that my dream was to be a UFC athlete. And my experience in other organizations was they don't pay nearly as much as the UFC does. Um, So, yeah, like, I'm happy with my contract and I'm happy with my spot in the division. And, um, yeah, I'm good.
1: And that's all that matters. Yeah. As long as you're happy. Yeah.
0: As long as you're happy happy and you're able to also to parlay to other ventures and things that you're happy doing as well. And it seems like, you know you're able to do that
1: and take good care of your dogs penny and (laughs) marsh
2: yeah no kidding i know they're way more popular on my instagram than i am but they're they're good dogs so i I do want to like when i'm done fighting i'd like to kind of get into real estate like we love to do um like home construction like joe and i bought our house it was a fixer-upper we like fixed the whole thing up like laid the floors put in um countertops like anyway um we like doing stuff like that, and uh, I, I would love to, like, be able to buy a house and flip it and buy a house and flip it or buy a house and rent it out, something like that, and just start, like, m- making some, you know, choices to have some permanent income. But we like doing, like, I think it was on embedded when we were, like, working on the gym and putting up I the wall mats that. and stuff. Yeah, we love doing shit like that. So I think when I'm done fighting, um, we definitely have, like, a future... Doing something like that like we can stay busy and then for sure we're gonna be gym owners like Joe's meant to be a coach 100% so like we're already going that direction where we're gonna have our own gym that will be like our like that's our next step in life I think like our dream Joe's meant to be a coach so yeah being in the UFC and like having the experiences that not only I've had but that like Joe has been able to have like cornering me and cornering Derek and he gets to meet other really high level coaches and learn from them and just kind of be in the scene Um, it's all these experiences are serving us well so that like a decade from now Joe's going to be a really high level coach with a whole new like fighters are going to be at a whole new level they're going to like 10 years from now girls are going to be fighting and they're going to be like Lauren Murphy was like an amateur (laughs) you know I mean I'm at the top right now but the sport just evolves so, so fast, so... We're going to own a gym and we're going to have a lot of evolved fighters in there and, and uh, hopefully own a few houses and flip those. And that's kind of what we want to do. And rescue dogs. That would be nice. <laughs> we'll have one house for
0: rescuing dogs. And you're set. And that sweat-, <laughs> yeah. sweat equity and the proof and the pudding, it's already there. It's already existent. You guys have the foundation, the blueprint, and uh, everything you're saying is all going to come to life. Yeah. It already see, is.
2: I don't see why not. Like our little corner of the world could be, you know, really comfortable. And Joe has a way of really improving. Everything around him. He improves people's lives that are around him. He improves, like, the spaces that he's working in around him. Like, he really has a magic touch to help people improve not just their fight game, but, like, their lives in general. And he brings a lot of happiness to a place. So I think we really could have a good thing going on.
1: That's great. Speak it into existence. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So Joe got
2: kind of hammered on by DC in the title fight, right? DC was, like, pretty hard on him, I think, on Joe's coaching yeah I remember that yeah. was hard for us a li- well it was kind of hard for us like it was a little hard for Joe but I was kind of like whatever like fuck that guy <laughs> you know but it, it was true like we didn't have my head coach there so Joe was kind of thrown into this spot where he's coaching you know against Valentina Shevchenko Alex my head coach he wasn't there Alex is really a striker Alex has been striking his whole life so that was like not our ace in the hole, but he was the guy that was going to see what Valentina was doing, you know, kind of direct me around, play the video game. Like, that was going to be Alex. And Joe got kind of thrown into that spot. Didn't really have a choice, but that's not Joe's, like, striking isn't Joe's forte. And, um, it just got to be a real mess that night. I wish DC had not been so hard on Joe because it's different cornering your wife. I was just about to
0: say that too, because it's two different responsibilities that he has to be thrown into in balance in the moment. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not the typical scenario too and especially on the biggest stage the biggest fight of your life like he's definitely probably I mean unless he was at the fighter meetings right those pre-fighter meetings so was he aware of the situation
2: who DC DC? we didn't talk about it I didn't want anybody to know that my coach was out like Uh. so I mean I guess I could have said something at the fighter meeting but you know you know how like fight week you're just trying to stay positive you're like it's all gonna be good I don't need anybody I don't need anything I feel great like your arm could be falling off you're like no I feel good I'm ready to fight you know and it's all it's all just to keep you in a positive mental space so we didn't really talk about the fact that Alex wasn't going to be there like I was really trying to tell myself like it's all good I wouldn't be able to hear him anyway uh (laughs) you know I'm just gonna let my body go on autopilot it's not gonna make a difference but it does it makes a big difference.
0: Yeah, because I just wonder if D.C. knew that, he would have never said that. Yeah. I would um, like to think that.
2: I would hope so, you know, but if D.C. had just observed with his eyes, he could have seen that there were only three people in that corner that night and not four.
0: Well, you I know? mean, he, he's already been called out by <laughs> Dominic Cruz about the lack of homework. Oh, no way. That, oh, that's oh, right. Yeah. I do remember that. I do remember that. Yeah, well,
2: you know, like, I mean. This is the thing. Like, we all have to grow. I have to grow as a fighter, and DC has to grow as a commentator because his comments that night were really uncalled for. And even a week later, he made some tweet that was uh, like a passive-aggressive jab at Joe. It's really bizarre. Like, I'm like, DC, you're like the double champ. You're like, you know, you're the EA fucking dude that decides the ratings. You're everybody's favorite commentator. You have things to do besides, like, tweet passive-aggressive stuff about my husband's cornering, you know. It was after Aspen Ladd's husband head cornered and there was all that controversy about whether or not he was good or not. So DC tweeted like, well, I would rather see that than some of the other cornering we've seen lately. And I'm like, that's obviously about me and Joe, but whatever, DC, like uh, this actually, I, I heard this from Jojo Calderwood. Uh, she said it to Ariel Hawani and I, it's one thing that I really agree with. So there you go, Jojo, there's a little credit for you. Uh, I said, she said that if it doesn't fly at home, it's not going to fly in the cage. And I really liked that because it's like Joe treats me with respect all the time, which is why I fucking married him. He's a good man all the time. There's not some like hidden asshole personality that he brings out whenever he feels like he needs to. It's not like he can be like, oh, Laura needs a real kick in the ass. I'm going to be a dick until she does whatever she needs to be doing. Like, Joe's good to me all the time. And that doesn't change. That's not an act. He doesn't put it on for the media. It's not something that changes when he gets stressed. And it didn't change in that title fight, which I love. I love that my husband is good to me. Even in the highest stress situations, he would never, like, talk to me like I was less than. He would never yell at me. He would never be like, you need to fucking do something different, like get in there. If I need somebody like that in my corner, it's definitely not going to be my husband because. If it doesn't fly at home, it's not gonna fly in the cage. And I guarantee you that if Joe had talked to me like that that night, I would have been more confused and brokenhearted than anything else. Like, to hear my husband talk to me that way and to think that he would need to. Like, it, I just can't imagine something like a dynamic like that between Joe and I. So um, anyway, that's my, my two cents about it is that Joe's good to me all the time. I'm glad that he's good to me all the time and uh, I don't ever want my husband to be the guy that turns into an asshole because the situation is high stress. We'll leave that to somebody else, and if D.C. ever corners his wife in a world championship anything, he can keep that in mind.
0: I'm sitting here, taking that's very well said, and yeah. taking notes. I, I'm like, Yeah, as, well
1: said, point blank, period. Yes, yeah.
0: and as she prepares for her swimming journey, I know what I'm good at, I know what I suck at, and I yeah. know my role.
1: I hope you took some mental notes. Yes, too.
0: I, <laughs> okay. I, I, I would never try to be the guy I'm not, especially with that in the water. Yeah. Um, I know what my role is, and uh, and, and hearing this from you too yeah, like reinforces that's why where you, I stay. I stayed my lane. Me as a coach. <laughs> hired her a coach. That's awesome. Because yeah.
1: yes. And actually, fun fact too: Lauren and I have swam together. Yes, that's so. right. Yeah.
2: And you tried yeah. to teach me how to do the kick turn. Oh, you're good. <laughs> I can swim in a straight line. Like Chel Sonnen said this. He was like, I could beat everybody in the swimming pool from one end to the other. But the turns, I don't do the turns. <laughs> so it just has to Chael's be like awesome. <laughs> half a lap, you know. <laughs> I said, yeah, chill I could get on. I could get on board with that. So, yeah, definitely swim a lot in camps, and you guys can come out. Oh, yeah, we should swim in Houston then. When yeah. you guys come
1: back, let's swim. Yeah, we'll okay. do it.
0: 100 percent, 100 percent. Well, we really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. We appreciate how sincere, how yeah. open you are and everything <laughs> like that. And we love talking to you over the years. And yeah. We, we're not going to stop. I mean, we support, <laughs> cool. we support fighters, you know. Uh, Everybody wins, everybody loses.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on. And um, the comeback is going to be way bigger than the setback. I'm pumped. So I'm going to, like, my new goal is to get to the title again and get there with all finishes. So let's
1: do it.
0: All going down against the cupcake in May.
1: That's right. We're going to squash the cupcake. Episode 94. We are out. <laughs>